This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. So one of the problems of doing a weekly podcast is that sometimes you just don't know how to feel after a week like this. Sure, City weren't great at Stamford Bridge, but the bonus was that they got the points. Then they took Chelsea apart in the FA Cup and we all thought that they were back in business. But then whatever that was against Southampton happened, we're right back at square one. So welcome to this most confused of Blue Moon podcasts. Are we all overreacting to a couple of dodgy displays in a post-World Cup world? Or are there some fundamental issues with the team that have been exposed as tiredness and rotation has kicked in during the relentless shape? Answers on a postcard. Stay tuned for our hot takes on all of that. Plus, what better game to follow up a dreadful performance than the Manchester Derby at Old Trafford against an in-form United? And after that, it spurs at the Etihad in a fixture where we know that historically strange things happen. Good or bad, you get the feeling it's going to be an eventful week. I'm David Mooney, and to discuss it all, I'm joined by two City fans. Here's Chris Higginbottom. Oh, God. (laughs) And Sam Roscoe. Hiya, Sam. Every time I do the podcast... It's a cathartic event for me, and <laughs> you were at Southampton. You were at Southampton, so I mean, let's start there then, Sam. Catharsis. Off you go. <laughs> it was rubbish, to be honest. I think, in fact, from the third minute, I remember because I looked at the big screen and I saw it was three minutes, and it felt like ten minutes. <laughs> because I felt, oh no, this is going to be a long evening. Because fair play to Southampton. They were very aggressive. They were on the front foot. They were surrounding our players. They just did not let City play whatsoever. And it, we were sat behind the goal, so it was really good to sort of see the, the way Southampton was set out and their formation. And they had like 4-2-3-1. And the two that were holding and the three behind the striker were very, very aggressive. And they were very, they were just running running, running, running constantly. And there was just absolutely no space was in midfield to play. They played really high up. Um, and we just looked dumbfounded by their their play, which yeah. I don't think anyone was expecting, to be honest. Yeah, Higgy, the, 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 the sad thing is, is I don't want to, I don't, I don't I, I'm going to sound like this is a proper Yadar opinion now. Um, <laughs> but you, you know how, like, sometimes you go, oh, they, they, they just ran more than we did, or they were w- working really hard. And that old kind of adage of hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. That's all I could think about at full time. <laughs> well, yeah, it's hard to argue with that, really. I mean, we had a strong lineup considering there's only a few. Uh, regular emissions, but they were kind of glaring, weren't they? I think uh, I should probably just embrace the nostalgia. I'm not used to. Um, <laughs> it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not used to watching us get so like overwhelmingly outfought and uh, outthunk <laughs> to avoid the rhyme. Like it was just, it was just not good enough. And I think um, Gundogan's admitted as much. They said that just the desire wasn't wasn't there. Um, there was a few it felt notable, like that as well. It, it really yeah. felt like that, you know. Like, um, and again, not to jump on Mooney's Yadar theory, but um, <laughs> it, it definitely felt like Southampton wanted it a lot more. It felt like Southampton had a lot more to play for 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Higgy, like even Guardiola after the game, he said, like, he said in a way, it didn't really matter what team I picked. I, I felt that like, I, I felt like that was going to happen come what may. And that's quite an alarming thing to say, really. Yeah. I think direct quote was the, they said they weren't prepared to play the game. Now, how do you interpret that? Does he mean like they weren't, the preparation wasn't good enough or it's just like, look, I'm just not prepared to play this, this game. <laughs> I was, I was not up for it. But um, it's, it's hard. I was chatting a bit after the game with a few mates about it and one of the common sort of consensus is consensi. One of the main themes was that we don't seem to have somebody in the ilk of, say, a Fernandinho who will properly be a bit of a a mean old bastard and, like, you know, be dirty and be aggressive, not just... Um, towards the opposition or ripping into our own players uh, in terms of like motivation and when it isn't just gliding along nicely like the well-oiled machine we expect. Yeah. To, I mean, De Bruyne does it to an extent when he's allowed to talk, but he wasn't on the pitch uh, first half. And when he came on in the second half, it looked like, oh, hello, we're, we're back on here. And yeah, it just, it just, uh, just a glimmer, wasn't it? It just, fizzled again there was no rhythm we weren't allowed to get a rhythm because they were so on it and all over us and the press was great and we had picked a team that just wasn't prepared to put the yards in when we didn't have the ball really yeah it's a consensi is that uh like a a a fake teacher or a fake instructor yeah, it's a, uh, a karate <laughs> in, in, master that's yeah. in jail. Yeah, in, in Japanese culture, it's uh, it, it's a it's a karate master who's a wrong one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Sam, more invented words later. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sam, it's been three different selections in three very different feeling games this week, uh, with three different systems that Guardiola's uh, employed as well. Um, is any of that a contributing factor, or is it a, a, a fact of like? ultimately for Southampton, they did have to change the team. They got the derby on Saturday. They've played two intense games against Chelsea. They did have to rotate the players. And he's just kind of picked a formation and, and a setup that the players he wants to get minutes in the legs is, is kind of, it's kind of forced his hand a little bit. Um, look, on the, on the drive down to Southampton, we, me and my friend, ran through who we think should be in the starting eleven, And we got one wrong. We we simply forgot about we we forgot about Gomez, to be honest with you. We we just forgot I, Gomez existed. I, I, I think on that first half, I think Gomez forgot about <laughs> Gomez as well, didn't he? Yeah. Um. So I think from a looking at the starting eleven, I don't think there was anything that wasn't to be expected because, of course, there's a huge game on Saturday. Not just because it's the derby, but because, and I know we'll come on to this a little bit later in the podcast, but it's a huge game because in terms of the title race we can narrow the gap to two points and put the pressure on Arsenal. That's how I think Pep will be seeing that game on Saturday. And that's the reason why he's probably gone, okay, the team, the 11, and I was in total agreement. Like I've just said, you know, we only got one wrong in the starting 11 when we predicted it. Uh, That team is strong enough for a quarterfinal of a League Cup Against, against Southampton, against bottom of the Premier League, yeah, yeah. If you can pass a football, but... <laughs> well, that is a big if, isn't it? Really, it's one of them. The players that are in that team, from, from a playing perspective, though, if you play footy and you just sometimes you just start off and your first five passes 
are absolute garbage. It's really hard to get it back, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you just and if your first pass is an absolute perler, then you're buoyed by that and you just go on it's just and collectively they all seem to have like a bad first, I don't know, sixty to eighty passes. <laughs> Even when De Bruyne came on in the second half, he had a couple of moments, didn't he, where it wasn't up to his usual standards, you know, of, of, of yeah, just, yeah, just, and it was that the weird thing was it was really simple passes as well. Yeah, and then he, he sort of played it back then, into yeah. the box, didn't he? Yeah, and yeah he had a couple Foden, of great and Foden's body language when it went past him was just like, oh, bit Kevin yeah. the teenager with it. And it's like the whole attitude was palpably think, less than I, it usually. I do is. think, whilst the obviously the performance was very disappointing from the city players. I do want to stress that I think we have to give credit to Southampton because a lot of the poor play from City were they, that was down to one forced errors mm. um, and well forced errors really by Southampton because of how aggressive they were and how you know really up for it and just how uh, you know for example I know we'll we'll talk about Calvin Phillips but when he got the ball in the middle he had three around him. Ward Prowse was practically marking him the whole game, so he he just couldn't he couldn't get into any rhythm. He couldn't. Not none, none of the city players pace. could get into any rhythm, could they? Because they were being hassled constantly, which is something that I don't think really city players are used to at the minute. Yeah, nobody likes pressure. I've just remembered. Um, uh, like uh, we played our first six-a-side game of the new year uh, on Tuesday night, and uh, Iggy, I, I I remember I took a couple of passbacks, and both my touch on the first couple was really really bad, and like put me under pressure. And I remember really panicking about then like what the next passback was going to be like, and how I was going to do it. And I just like it, that that was the Southampton game. It's what it's it's what happened at, uh, at Southampton. Um, just on on the selection, Higgy. Um, because obviously we talked about, like Sam said, he, he kind of was really close to predicting the the lineup in the end. And it all kind of stems from resting players, giving some players rhythm ahead of the derby, that sort of stuff. Um, if you're resting players like De Bruyne or like Haaland, is there a case to be made that like even if it's going badly, you just don't bring them on anyway? You should let the players out there try and sort it out for themselves. Or maybe, or flip it the other way around. Should, should he start with them and bring them off when the job's done? I don't think he should start with them um, because it is a squad game. Uh, you've got to use, utilize these players and keep people fresh. And I, I agree with, I agree with the starting for the starting um, selection. But as regards, do you then make wholesale changes? I think it's probably been playing on his mind a bit that the increasing, you know, uh, long-standing criticism that he doesn't make enough subs or isn't kind of reactive enough um, to situations as they, as they change because you do have to do that as a manager and maybe that's got on his head a little bit because he was going absolutely sub-mad last night, wasn't he? Um, but I think it was merited as well. If he hadn't have done that, I don't think, and it's all speculative, but I don't think the players on the pitch that started so badly would necessarily have, have got out. better and won the game. Um, if he'd have left them on and that had happened, he'd be getting absolute you know, pelters from all and sundry for not bringing De Bruyne or Haaland or, and I thought he brought them on in good time. I was surprised, pleasant, pleasantly surprised to see people get more than seven minutes or what have you. <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't think there was much else Pep could have done. Ultimately the book stops with him, but 
you know, you've put the players out there, it wasn't quite working. You put better players out there, it still didn't work. Southampton. Yeah. The, the rot had already set in, hadn't it? Yeah. And Southampton have been utter garbage for a long time. And, you know, it, all the kind of planets aligned for us to, to lose, unfortunately. United are going to be licking their lips if you think all they have to do is, like, be aggressive and they'll have the crowd behind them. I mean, there wasn't even a crowd at St Mary's, really, was there? <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a big challenge, uh, the derby, but you can't you can't expect us to play that badly as, as badly as that yeah no. well let's let's look at a positive from the week sam uh because i mean ultimately i like mares is showing a return to form from this week you know he was off the bench and he changed the game at stamford bridge he then played a brilliant performance in the fa cup against chelsea and then the best of it all is he wasn't even involved against southampton so you don't know what you've got till it's gone <laughs> i um they paved paradise and put up a parking lot is what i'm saying <laughs> But this is part of my frustration with Riyad Mahrez. Like, I want to see consistency from him. And he's shown in the past few games when he's played that he can have a huge impact on games. But it's just not consistent enough still. And I think that's that's the frustration that I certainly have. And I feel like a lot of other City fans that are frustrated with Mahrez at times. That's the reason why. Let me take that on his laurels a bit. Well, let me take that return from you, Sam, and then I'll smash it back over the net with uh, he's got six goals in his last seven City games. How's that? Well, this is what I'm saying. That's that's great. But over the course of a season, let's make that consistently the theme. Um, you know, what is this his best season at the club? How long has he been at City now? You know? Um, but yeah, he's, look, he's certainly having an impact and... Look, the free kick was fantastic and it was exactly what that game needed to open it up, wasn't it? And and I think that's probably what is the difference for, for City in matches, that moment of magic where we get ahead and we know that when City get ahead in games, it becomes a lot easier because teams have to, you know, play a bit more than just sit back. Um, so... That sort of catalyst in the Chelsea game was was really, really crucial. Um, and yeah, I hope he continues it. And I hope that he does get involved a lot more and yeah. be more consistent. Higgy, I thought, I'll be honest with you, at the start of the season, the way he was playing, I thought he was finished at City. I thought this was, I thought it was meandering to an end. And then, you know... Uh, the the sort of the, the the end of November happened and he was doing he, he was doing okay in the team there and he's come back from from uh, the World Cup break and he's been he's been great. Yeah, he was looking in danger of turning to just like a dawdling first touch merchant um, at the start of the season, but Pep got into him a bit about his condition, didn't he? And it does seem to have reaped uh, dividends. I think as I was saying earlier. Um, he seems to rest on his laurels a bit, so he'll he'll do some amazing work, and then think, well, that's me guaranteed to be picked for the next ten games. Here we go. Give us the ball, ping one across. I'll control it perfectly. Have a little dabble if it doesn't come off. Yeah, we'll try again next time. And once he gets a bit of uh, a rocket from the manager, he seems to step up again. So it's all about it's hard to manage, isn't it? Um, but. Lately, it's been uh, it's been going well. We'll see in the derby whether he'll continue along those along those vein and uh, along that vein, and hopefully he'll continue and we'll we'll absolutely blast United uh, into the stratosphere. Yeah, I think he needs as well. For, for me, this has always been a criticism I've had of Mares, but he 
he can't play out on the left despite being left-footed. Like that's just doesn't seem to happen, does it? So he always has to play out on the right. He's very one-dimensional in the sense that he cuts in. So I think he needs a fullback there that's that goes around the outside. Him, that yeah. goes around the outside, and that's where we see the best from Riyad Mahrez when he's got that overlapping support. And, and that's where we get the best out of other players in the squad as well. The likes of Haaland, when that's where the service comes from down that right-hand side. When Mares gets the ball, he'll either cut inside, jink it back to the, to the full-back and then the ball's in the box for Haaland, etc. I think that's where we get the best out of him. Um, and of course, when he cuts in and top, puts it in the, the top corner like he does every six games or so, and then all of a sudden he's, he's the best player ever. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Sam, you mentioned before about Mares and uh, and the, the fullback going outside of him. Um, I think it's notable that City had, had the most width in all of these three games that we're looking back on, the Chelsea Premier League game, the, the Chelsea FA Cup game and the Southampton game. They had the most width in that FA Cup game. And that was the one where they they looked at the best. And we've had kind of we've had kind of some distinct eras of, of Guardiola at City. If we take out that first season, you got twenty seventeen to nineteen. It was very pacey. It was very uh, transitional. Um, you know, real kind of counter attack stuff in a in a sort of like draw the opposition out, counter attack against them. Uh, twenty nineteen to about twenty twenty two, start of last year. Um, it was very much more controlled. There were very few transitions. It was that Guardiola phrase of, you know, a thousand million passes. At the moment, whatever whatever City are trying to do at the moment, it's, it's clearly a little bit more control. It's clearly trying to figure out how to have that control with Haaland in there. I'm wondering how much of it, how much of the problems are being caused by, you know, Cancelo on the left took it inside and then Grealish not having anybody going around the outside of him. Recently, Lewis has tucked in alongside Rodri and not gone around Mares. Uh, like... If you don't have that natural width, is that then the problem, Sam? I think the greatest example of where City are having issues was evident in that game against Southampton where Jack Grealish was stood out on the touchline, Cole Palmer was stood out on the other touchline. They were in acres of space, but City just couldn't get the ball out to them. Yeah, They weren't, they weren't quick enough and they haven't been quick enough. They've looked lethargic to to play that way you know this it frustrates me because what is the point in having players out so wide that they're just not going to get the ball because they're not playing it quick enough you know they're not going to get in behind the defense because it's not quick enough and therefore you're not going to get the best out of Haaland because he's not going to have the space because there's going to be 10 men behind the ball by the time you've got it out wide to get it into him etc so it's it's frustrating, and I think it all comes down to they're just not being quick enough. And when we look back at the derby in October, one thing City were was absolutely lightning getting the ball out wide and getting it into Haaland. And I think that's the, that's the difference. The thing is, though, if we've got these players making the pitch so wide and getting chalk on the boots, that should give uh, the opposition defence something to think about and open up other avenues in the inside channels, but we weren't able to do that either. We were just off the boil. It's like with the overlap question. I don't think it's necessarily something we should employ in one game and not in another. And I don't think that is what is intended, but just to give the fullback or whoever's trying to cover something to think about. If you've got 
Mares with the potential of somebody to overlap, who doesn't always overlap, sometimes hangs around, giving Mares the choice of whether to cut inside or whether to um, sling it past the defender for the overlapping fullback. It's not. It, it gives the defenders twice as much to to consider. Yeah, you can't but, defend by numbers. You can't go. Oh, they do this. I will do this. You have to yeah, think about. Yeah. You have to think with. You have to react to the situation, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, and that's. I suppose that's the use of like the overload, isn't it? And and us all moving across as one and making it look like we've got more numbers to provide an overlap. And it just wasn't cohesive enough to do that last night. And um, I sometimes you've got to sacrifice a game in order to see what isn't working to then say, right, well, we definitely don't do this. Because if you're just telling people what to do and they kind of do it, bumble through against Southampton, in a way it's like, you know, worth it's a sacrifice worth making, even though we all love the Carabao so much. I'd rather lose that game, learn a lesson from it, come out all guns blazing against the rags and, you know, win the league, FA Cup and Champions League. I'd probably take that. <laughs> yeah, I might take that as, as well as it happens. Um, I, I want to bring this in from Andy Stafford on the emails. Um, he says, I'd like to hear your views on the fact that we now have the best number nine in world football, yet Pep seems to have settled on a system without proper fullbacks and inverted wingers. In short, we don't seem to be playing to Haaland's strengths, even though he is still scoring a ridiculous amount of goals. And though the team doesn't start and stop with Haaland, certainly in the last few games he seems to be feeding on scraps. I know Pep values control in particular at present, and who are we to question him? The man is a genius, but surely we could play with more width and create more for Haaland. In short, are we stifling the creativity of the team a bit too much in the name of control? For me, the best incarnation of Pep City was still the Centurion season when we had Sane and Sterling on the wings and Aguero up top. We were lethal and nobody could live with us. Now we have a striker again, surely we should be trying to play a bit more in this way. Um, what do you reckon, Sam? Because uh, there is there is there is also the school of thought that other teams have adapted as well. The way teams defend doesn't leave as much space to attack so City have to do something differently first of all I agree with Andy um, you know the, that Centurion season was absolutely electric wasn't it and the, the football we were playing I think I've said it about five times to different friends over the past couple of months but oh, imagine Leroy Sane in this team with Erling Haaland would be incredible wouldn't it but I think um, on the Haaland note it's uh He's having a bit of a nightmare at the minute, isn't he? He's going through his, his longest goal drought of the season of, of two games. <laughs> <laughs> it's looking bleak for early. <laughs> but um, no, I, I, I totally get what he's saying. And I noticed it at Southampton where, and I don't know if it's because Alvarez was also playing up front with him, but instead of making his runs to the near post, he was sort of um, ghosting out towards the back post, which... It just it just felt like he wasn't getting into the game the way we would expect him to because of that. But yeah, I think certainly like we've mentioned, you know, overlapping with Mares is a great option that we we have to feed the ball into to Haaland. And I think we saw it against Southampton as well. But Foden, when he has that directive to stay out wide and get it into the box really delivers like some of his crosses last night were towards the end of the game were, were fantastic. And I wanted to see a lot more of that. I don't know if it's a case of we are trying to be too controlled and that's got the players shackled a little bit. Like I, I 
it feel it certainly feels like that, and I I feel like I'd like to see the shackles off a bit more. Particularly, I've already mentioned it, haven't I? But the derby game, the you know the derby game against United, it, it certainly felt like it was the shackles were off there. You know, my concern with that though, Sam, is is what if what if the opposite is true, and what if in releasing the shackles it gives the opposition more chances at City's goal. Well, it's an entertainment game at the end of the day, isn't it? And if we score <laughs> we more goals than them, who cares? Yeah, yeah, but that was, you know, that was like. Uh, I feel like Two of them were non goals. Yeah, I feel yeah. like a United fan when, you know, saying, yeah, but City scored three in the 90th minute, you know, to make it 6 1 and Old Trafford sort of thing. It's that sort of argument, isn't it? You know, well, they were out of the game already and this, that, and the other. But, yeah, yeah. you know, the damage had already been done 4 0 up at half time. I'll certainly take that against United at Old Trafford on Saturday. I mean, Higgy, another question from all of this. I'm just wondering if if this is ultimately a transitional season where basically Guardiola is, is trying to work out how to have control of games and have, you know, super robot man up front as well and, and, and play to his strengths. And ultimately what we get at the moment is just a little bit of a mixture of City being good some weeks, not so good other weeks, but ultimately in the long run, we'll get a really, really good and new incarnation of Guardiola's City. Possibly. Um, he didn't do that with Aguero, who's arguably, you know, like a globally leading, globally leading striker, doesn't make sense. One of the best strikers <laughs> in the world, and he said to Aguero, you dropped unless you change your game to how I play. And I thought Haaland last night when he had to and dropped deep, as he has done in other games, like people, I don't want to get into the conversation about how many touches he has per game, but the touches that he does have in build-up, even um, in starting the build-up when he's coming out of the box, having defended, which he also does well, I think his link-up play is underestimated. People talk about him as a target man and a box player and, you know, he's a super robot man. But <laughs> I think he, he could be encouraged or utilised more in terms of uh, a controlling build-up as well than than this sort of, you know, goal-scoring sentinel just it's almost to, to stand up I, I, front. I agree with you there. And I think it's, it, it's similar to... I feel like this is the easy easy way to describe it, but it's quite similar to what Harry Kane does in that he'll drop deep and start the build-up to create the space to run into for himself. Mm. So hey. it's almost as if Haaland, when he does get involved in the build-up, is there to create the space for himself. So he like drops deep to run into that space. If the ball then goes out wide, he's running onto it sort of thing. Mm. But I'm fine with that if it works. I mean, I think we'd probably be a slicker footballing operation if if we had Kane instead of Haaland, to be honest. It's like a cross between De Bruyne and Haaland, isn't he, Kane? The way he sprays the ball about. I don't think Haaland's quite up to that in terms of build-up and passing. But, yeah, I think he he could definitely be utilised more in the, in the build-up. God, that's a what didn't happen next, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, in, in many ways, he was like the first choice, wasn't he? But we had to go for the uh, best striker in Europe instead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's not forget, Alvarez, Alvarez missed um, a couple of really good chances last night. Yeah, there was that one, wasn't there, like straight after half-time? Yeah, when he could have There's took the one, touch, And then it's a completely different game, isn't it, if you, know, if he scores exactly. that. He was in acres of space. 
I think the angle was a bit awkward for him. But then I he had time to make it a better angle or just take a touch, get near the keeper, yeah. you know. And he just he just whacked it, and he was obviously as confident as I was, thinking it was going to nestle, and it it didn't. And that second one, I just don't know how he's topped it. It looked harder to not score than to score, and he's just got his studs on top of the ball, and it's uh, kind of squirtled out. Yeah, well, we've all had them, unfortunately. Um, before we move on, though, I just want to I want to play this voice note that we've had in. Uh, it sparked from when I mentioned on Twitter that I was finding the Southampton game pretty difficult to watch because of the kits. Um, have a listen to this. Hey, David, Dominic here. Being a colorblind soccer fan, it's difficult to watch a match like today's because there just isn't enough contrast between the jerseys. It's really hard to explain, and for the average person, it's probably silly to hear because on the close-ups, it's fine, but the wide-angle camera is too far and it's really hard to follow. It's frustrating when you're looking forward to a game, and as soon as you see the teams kick off, you know it's going to be a challenge to follow along. It doesn't happen too often, but when it does, usually I try to focus on the shorts. Like in the Everton City game on New Year's Eve when Everton won their pink kits. At least then, City were in white shorts and Everton in dark blue. I could follow along close enough. But tonight, both teams have dark shorts too, so it makes it even more difficult. There's just not enough contrast. The worst game that I can remember was January 2021. United wore dark green against Liverpool's red, and I couldn't watch the game at all because it was just a full field of the same colour. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Now, one in 12 men and one in 200 women are colorblind. Uh, in 2023, Sam, shouldn't this be taken into consideration a lot more when deciding on the kits? Because well, What was it like in person there, uh, watching that game? Because on TV, I, like, I'm not colorblind, and I found it very difficult to distinguish between the kits. I actually made a comment saying that I wouldn't... I, I, couldn't, I could understand if the players had trouble, because that kit... Although you know you, we can argue about the design or whatever, I don't particularly like it anyway. It's not the most like uh, obviously recognisable sort of colour. You know, when you when you think about when you play football, a lot of it's in your peripheral vision, isn't it? Yeah, and you look up and for see. me, I know that if I, I'd I'd struggle with that. Um, so I can't imagine to you know begin to imagine what it's like for someone that that is colour blind. And and you're absolutely right. You know the football is all about inclusivity and, and this is something that should be definitely addressed and something that should be taken into consideration because ultimately you know you you don't want people not to be able to en- enjoy the game that we all love and and the game that's for everybody yeah Higgy, do you have did you have trouble as well with the with differentiating the teams i don't know how you watched it last night um i had i have trouble just looking at that third kit anyway because it's horrendous <laughs> um but Regarding the issue, um, <clears throat> it's such an easy problem to solve, you would yeah. think. Uh, I'd like to stress before I continue, this was before my time, but back in back in the old days, when it was black and white TV, there was no colour... Well, it was black and white. Yeah, so, like, it was black and white. <laughs> yeah, so, if, so the football teams had to have... One had to have a... It had to be an obvious contrast between either dark and light or stripes or, you know, what have you. So we've had a similar issue in the past that was very easy to resolve, just surely, you know, uh, the Premier League or or the teams or whoever, the powers that be need to get around the table and make that uh, compliant for people who find it difficult because it's like, it's just, it's just daft to have that in this day and age. 
I work at um, a place where you're not allowed to have color-coded stuff or just color-coded stuff for like things like priorities. You can't have like a traffic light system without um, having, for instance, like a number priority system next to it for the same reason that, you know, a significant portion of people um, have color blindness issues and it's, it's just easily solved if you address it. So definitely needs raising. Who do we, who do we send a strongly worded email to? Uh, probably the FA. Let's. I'll do that after the game. Uh, after Would the game. Mind? After the podcast. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of solving issues, Guardiola's got a few to sort out for the trip to Old Trafford on Saturday. Um, we're going to start by getting the United view on the game, though. I've been speaking to Jay Mosseshead from the Stratford Paddock YouTube channel to find out how he's feeling with United's recent run of good form. Post World Cup, we've had a lot of winnable fixtures. I don't think there's any sort of you know secret there. You've, we've had a lot of games where you would expect Manchester United are to, to win those games, but. Recently and, you know, historically, United have dropped points against teams you'd expect us to beat. So we can't take it for granted and you can only beat, I know it's a cliche, but you can only beat what's in front of you. And United have been doing that and been doing it quite successfully. So, yeah, it's a great bit of form, which is what you want to take into the derby. But I'm under no illusions that Manchester City is going to be a much tougher test than we've had in quite some time because... Just pre, just before the World Cup, post World Cup, we've had a lot of games against teams in the bottom half of the table and even a lower league. Sorry, teams out of the Premier League in terms of the cup competitions as well. So this is going to be the first major test in a little while, and you know, thankfully, our form going into it is is bang on. Yeah. Um, what lessons do you think have been learned from the first derby? Because, I mean, 6-3 in the end, uh, like in, in many ways, I guess you were quite happy to get out of there with a 6-3 because it could have been a lot worse at one point. It, it amazes me how I can actually be relieved at a 6-3. <laughs> Honestly, you're not wrong. At half time, I was fearing the worst. I thought this could be, you know, seriously ridiculous 8-9-0 tackle. Now, that might sound melodramatic, but, but you were on for that at one point. That was, you know, if you'd have carried on scoring at the rate you were scoring, it could have been a cricket score. So to actually walk away with a, a, a you know, a, a sort of a three-goal deficit, if I want to be nice to myself about it, 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 was, it wasn't that unbearable, but we have to do better. The, the exact things that you don't want Manchester United to do against Manchester City are what we did at the Derby, uh, at the Etihad, sorry. We, we, you know, we let you get a fall in the game early on. We were all over the place defensively. We, we didn't sort of get close enough to Erling Haaland. I know he's a difficult even if you do, but we, we, we made it far too easy for him. And also in midfield, I think I love Eric Ten Hag. I love the job he's doing. But I genuinely think that was the the one game where I think he was a little bit naive to go into that game with the midfield we went in with was was just asking for trouble. And Kevin De Bruyne, as we all know, and obviously as a United fan, unfortunately, I know him too well because he's had a very good game against us too far too often. He tore us apart when you've got Foden and Haaland in front of you as well, banging in the goals. It was just a horrible day for Manchester United. And one like you pointed out earlier, could have been a lot worse. Yeah, do you think Ten Hag will do? Do you think he'll he'll go with a a, um, a, a kind of a, a much more bolstered midfield for this one? Then do you think he'll change the shape a little bit? I'd expect him to. And we have gone with three midfield. We've gone sort of four three three, almost constantly. And those three, the three midfield has usually been when everyone's fit. It's usually Casemiro, Bruno, and Eriksson. I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Christian Eriksson made way for maybe a Fred or a Scott McTominay, someone who who probably can do it off a little bit more energy in midfield and isn't afraid to stick a foot in. That would make more sense. And I don't think there's any shame in that. I don't think, you know, you, there might be an attitude of, oh, why should we change our system? We're at home. We should be challenging City no matter what. You have to be realistic. And the, the midfield you've got, it's not just Kevin De Bruyne. Bernardo Silva's got a very good record against us as well. He always causes us problems. I think it makes a lot of sense to have 
sort of um, two holding midfielders and then Bruno just in front of him, especially when you're facing a team as good as Manchester City. Yeah. Um, what about Marcus Rashford? He's been uh, he's been in some fine form lately, and uh, he likes the derby sometimes, doesn't he? He, he does, yeah. He's got a decent record in the dab. He's always up for it. He always, he's always up for it because he's a he's a he's a United fan. He's grown up in Wigan Shore. He knows what it's like to to sort of to lose or win a derby. He knows how that can affect you. So he gets that part of the game. Yep, he's in fantastic form, scoring practically every game now, which is great to see. As I said earlier, I don't want to sound negative here because I am I'm loving this form we're in and I'm loving the fact we're winning every game and I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the results and the performances under it tonight. But you have to have a little bit of realism here. It's going to be tougher for Marcus Rashford to score against Manchester City than it was for him to score against the likes of Charlton and Bournemouth. That's just the way it is. But I fancy him. I fancy him for a goal. I think he's the form he's in, the fact that he has performed well against Manchester City in the past and also... Manchester City do concede goals. It's not like this, you know, this is obviously a very good City team, but it's not like it's impossible to score against them. And someone like Marcus Rashford at home with the players that he's got around him, yeah, I fancy him to get at least one goal. Yeah. Now, uh, the defence is going to be something that um, is, is going to be key for United, as, as you mentioned Haaland a couple of times there. Um, what's going on with the defence at the moment? Because there was there was rumours uh, of Harry Maguire to Aston Villa. That's That's not happening, is it? I don't think. No, I, I don't think it is. I think a lot of these rumours, I think they're almost sat on social media, some of them. I think people just sort of, it's like a little echo chamber, someone tweets it and other people think, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then it gathers <laughs> a little bit of momentum. And then you'll have some account that's got a blue tick that goes, yeah, this is happening. And then in the end, it, actually, when you scratch beneath the surface, there's no interest from Villa and there's no suggestion that Manchester United have entered any conversations with them in selling Harry Maguire. So I don't think that'll happen. I think he is probably about fourth or fifth in the pecking order. Even Luke Shaw seems to be preferred to him at centre-back um, when, when you know, when um, either Varane or Martinez, usually Martinez isn't available, then Luke Shaw's been playing on that left-hand side of centre-back. So Harry Maguire is struggling for games, but I don't see him, um, I don't see him going to Aston Villa. I think that he's more likely to go in the summer and that w- that's probably the best move for him because I still feel that Harry Maguire, he had a decent couple of first seasons, but he's gone off the boil a little bit. And he, he can, you know, you can sense the sort of nervousness around someone. I feel like it's on him a little bit. Playing for Manchester United, he's a completely, almost a completely different player when he plays for England. So, yeah, I expect him to go in the summer. And I'll be surprised if he features in the derby, to be honest with you, because like I said earlier, he's down the pecking order and we have got some very good centre-backs in front of him. And even Luke Shaw at centre-back has been doing very well when he's played there. Yeah, he's caused City problems in the past as well, Luke Shaw. Um, uh, just, I mean, just looking at the table, Jay, I, I'm, I'm interested. It, like, if you were to win this game, you'd be a point behind City. Uh, where, what do you, what would your aim for the season be? Because, I mean, if in that case, if you were to win the derby and be a point behind City, if City are in a title race, then, I mean, you must be as well. It's a good point. I'm just scared to say it out loud. I just won't, I won't do it, Dave. I've been here before in 2018, and what was the other one? Under Ollie in 2020, or whatever it was, uh, when you know we were top at Christmas or whatever, and we started thinking, "Oh, we're in a tie race there." And then within a month, it was completely over. Um, <laughs> you know, listen, if we are second or we are point behind second, sorry, you have to consider yourself in at least a title challenge. I think we've given ourselves too much to do to be honest with you, to, to, to win the title this, this season. Those first two results, that result at the Etihad, and then the, the, the game against Villa as well was sort of like the, the the final nail in the coffin of any idea for me that we were going to win the title this season. But if we were to go, you know, one point behind second, then you've got to say you want to at least finish in the top three. I think that should be the bare minimum. And I think that would be a good, solid base to build on for next season. If Ericsson Hag in his first season can finish in the top three in the Premier League, then, yeah, you know, next season we can we can have a, a proper title challenge, not just one like we had under Jose Mourinho when we ended up finishing second by about 19 points, whatever it was. 
Yeah. Now, um, obviously, we've got the charity back coming up a bit later on. Um, I am a coward and I don't like making predictions, so I like to give my prediction over to the guests. Uh, what are you going for, Jay? I've got a feeling that this may not be the sort of exciting football feast that some people predict. I think it might be a little bit cagey, to be honest with you. I actually think City, and obviously you know a lot more than I do, but I think City might be a little bit wary of Manchester United just because of the form we're in and the fact that you've got Marcus Rashford scoring a lot of goals. Man United, I think, pains me to say it, a draw would actually be a decent result for us, especially considering City's record at Old Trafford over the last few years has just been far too good for my liking. So I'm going to go... I'm <laughs> Not, good go with a one. Not good enough for mine. Not good enough for my liking. Well, it shows, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to go with a one-all. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Jay Mosseshead from the Stratford Paddock. Um, I, I, I want to start the City point of view uh, by listening to this. This is Guardiola speaking ahead of the Southampton game. So everything that unfolded uh, last night hadn't happened by this point. Um, but he was explaining how the derby affected his selection for uh, the game last night. I would like to arrive against uh, United more or less with the average of minutes and the legs of the players quite, quite, quite similar. Because I have a few ideas uh, Thoughts, yeah, ridiculous ones went to United, but still I didn't watch the last games. I have to see the way we play at home and the way he changed something. I have to still review. That's why I don't have clear the lineup against against United. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, we have it, Higgy. Um, he's got a, he's got God. a few ideas. This, oh, this, this, this is going to be good. He's got a few ideas. Oh Christ, what what do we anticipate for this? He's going to play Edison at left back, isn't he? Well, um, I I wondered maybe maybe what if it's starting Alvarez instead of Haaland? Why? Just to offer that again to go back to the control element. Somebody who will who can almost play as the false nine instead of having the number nine focal point. Just to piss us off is why. But <laughs> yeah. To be honest, there are there are a lot of um, pros to that, and if he did do that, I I for one wouldn't be uh, too dismayed by it. It'd have to work. Oh god! Oh, he'd get, yeah, he'd get crucified if it work. didn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course. Um, I think. Can't ha- you know? We mentioned Haaland dropping a bit deeper. I wonder if that could be an option too. Um, I, I actually think Pep's just being Pep there. I've noticed it quite a bit recently. He's he likes to say these things, doesn't he? In in press conferences at the minute, where I don't know. I don't want to say distraction or diversion or anything like that, but it's just got that twinkle in his eye, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he knows he knows exactly what he's doing. That's the thing. Like in when he says these things, he doesn't he, he doesn't just say them 
for saying them sake. He knows that there's probably a bit of a, a talk around him doing wacky things. So of course he's he's playing that up, isn't he? I think yeah. um I do think when he says about watching United that the games I'd be looking at are Arsenal at Old Trafford and Liverpool at Old Trafford because that's where um you know obviously they got six points in those games but that's where I think is is probably the the one that's most comparable to the way City are probably wanting to play yeah. and not where United, not United's got the recent of... run of of um kind of Burnley and Forest and yeah, yeah the the sorts of teams that you'd expect them to beat yes I mean when you do look at United's form um obviously they have have won uh, I think it's um it's it eleven. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, since Something the World like Cup break, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's obviously when you do look at the form, they've won 11 of their last 12 games, but they have played, I've, I've actually got it listed out here Charlton, Everton, Bournemouth, Wolves, Forest, Burnley, Fulham, Aston Villa, Real Sociedad, West Ham, and Sheriff. So, um, so this, but you know, that being said, you, you've got to beat the teams that are in front of you, and they've done that. And they they have it does feel like United have turned a corner, and this is a massive test for them. I don't think there's been a derby with this much at stake for a, for a while. So let's be real, you know, United have got City on Saturday. The week after they've got Arsenal. If they get six points, then they're in the conversation of title race, which is ridiculous steady considering. On, steady on. Yeah. No, it is though because you know, the and I'm not saying we have to take them seriously. Don't get me wrong, but people will talk about United for the title race if they beat City and Arsenal. Um, but hopefully that's not going to be the case. Um, like I said, it's a big test for United coming up against City and obviously everything that happened in October. But it's, it's and I actually think the way and I mentioned this earlier on, but the way that Peppel. Um, look to approach this and I'm sure he'll be saying this to all the players is look at the end of the day if we win this game with two points behind Arsenal when just a few weeks ago Arsenal had the opportunity to be 10 points in front of City um, so look at how we've done there it puts the pressure on Arsenal going into North London derby and I think that's the way that it's going to be approached to be honest yeah um, just in terms of Guardiola and his mad ideas Chris obviously Sesame Street has Big Bird City have uh, Big Bert in the press conferences <laughs> um, uh, is it just a simple case of of you know going back to what was working at the start of the season you know putting players in their comfortable positions having fullbacks at fullback and um, uh, and just setting up in that kind of 4-3-3 sort of you know way to to get City you know moving and and playing like they were against uh, against United. I mean, take for instance, um, if if the, if the lineup was to come out, I know Cancelo had a pretty bad game against uh, against Southampton, but if the lineup was to come out and he's and he's two, put at, two <laughs> foul throws. One of, one, of the, one of them was by Gomez, yeah. I yeah. mean, pick a left-back that can take a throw-in to start with. Oh. So maybe Ake is going to start at left-back. Um, but if he starts Ake at left-back, uh, Walker at right-back, and then a centre-back pairing of two of the available centre-backs, uh, would, you be, would, you, would you feel a lot more confident from the off there? I'd just feel comfortable with it. I mean, if he doesn't do that and he does something a bit left-field, then you've got this um, instant sort of knot about will this, will this work? I mean, obviously, you don't know that it's going to work if you play people in their preferred positions, but there's definitely an air of uh, comfort compared with with not doing that. How about, how about if Cancelo players? 
Which side? Left. I, I would um, I would be concerned, mm. to be honest, because I just think he's not in the best form. His defending isn't his biggest attribute as it is. And it, we'd just be li- leaving ourselves liable to getting uh, ripped down that right-hand side because they're going to come out, out the I'd traps. be concerned with Cancelo on that left-hand side coming up against the likes of Anthony because... You know, although while I just want to point out, I'd be concerned with him on the right as well. I just probably wouldn't play. Him. Yeah, yeah. With Ant- with Anthony, we know that he's. I don't want to say one trick pony, but he's certainly got that thing in his locker where he cuts inside and has a shot, and that's where he's most dangerous. And I'd just be concerned around Cancelo defending against that. Whereas yeah. Ake, I, I genuinely think Ake's looked very good at left back, considering he's he's not. Yeah. You know, he's more not than, more back. than competent, isn't he? He just, yeah, just doesn't get around that, the outside, though, does he? That's that's the ultimate issue. I mean, well, Cancelo won't get around no, the outside. I don't know. Either. He was doing, he was, you know, he, 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 I've noticed he, he picks up the ball and drives with it a lot more than when he was first put in as a makeshift, makeshift left back. I think he's added that a bit more to his game. You know, he, he makes those runs on the inside, uh, into the box, past the likes of Grealish, etc. Um, and I, I think Pep's. Pep likes him at left back at the minute. I think Pep has identified him as the best in that position because we've seen him play in that position a lot, lot more than we have Cancelo, etc. Or Gomez. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Ake there. I'd be very comfortable with Walker at right back because, look, let's face it, the danger man for United at at the minute is Marcus Rashford. He's got, he's he's in the best form of his career, isn't he? It's something like uh, eight goals in his. His last seven, um, so he's he's on. Mad, isn't it? That turnaround. It's like England yeah. saved his career by just allowing him to play into form over about eight games. Yeah, so I'd be a lot more comfortable. Not not and that's not detrimental to the performances that Rico Lewis has put in. I actually think he's been very good, but I just think that having that experience of of Kyle Walker in these games, that's you know, it is a derby, it's a big occasion, etc. Having that cool, calm head up against an informed Marcus Rashford would make me feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, yeah. I think um, in, in terms of the, the top end of the pitch, I mean, the, the two questions really, Chris, I, I'm fully prepared to see a return to um, Grealish and, and Mares to, to basically try and control uh, the game against United. Um, but I think the bigger concern may be, how do you get Kevin De Bruyne's form back? Because he's been out of, he's been out of sorts for a while now. Drop him. No, I'm only joking. I don't know the answer <laughs> to that. Um, I don't know. Maybe he does need a bit of a rest, but I would certainly start him. Um, he's looking a bit disconsolate at times. I don't know. Can't put my finger on it. It happens, doesn't it? You just I'm have sure. to kind of play him through it sometimes, don't you? Yeah, like like uh, what's happened to Rashford. Sometimes you just have to play through it, and you know, if you're as good a player as De Bruyne, then you'll find your form again. Yeah. It's not particularly a massive concern, to be honest with you, for me, because De Bruyne is the sort of player that will play him back into into form in in these games that are so big and mean so much. Well, I mean, like, take, take Anfield next... last season; he was awful for what an hour, and what, did he did he scored one and laid one on? Did he not? Well, this is it, isn't it? You can play you can play terrible for a while and still do something that will win you the game and unlock situation if Kevin De Bruyne 
doesn't get up and and you know play particularly well or do something De Bruyne-esque in in the next few games against the likes of United and Spurs, then we'll have a conversation next week and I might be a bit more worried. Yeah. Well, uh, there is an interesting dynamic, Sam. You mentioned the Spurs game, but away from City this week, uh, we obviously know it's the Manchester derby on Saturday. Uh, on Sunday, Tottenham host Arsenal in the North London derby. We'll all be hoping Spurs can do City a favour in that game, but then in the very next match, they travel to the Etihad, where they can again affect the outcome of this season's title race. And as we all know, and I said it at the start of the show, uh, when City and Spurs meet, strange things can happen. Tottenham have been having an odd season themselves so far, and I started by asking Jack from Rule the Roost podcast what their hopes were for the remaining of the year uh, <laughs> I mean obviously the hope for Spurs is that we finish in the top four again um, I think there's every sort of scope that we should be able to achieve that I'm not saying it's definite but you know we're, we're kind of in the conversation still despite not looking that convincing um, I mean my main hope is that Arsenal don't win the title though I'm back in that <laughs> place again mate really if you want me to be brutally honest about it yeah I mean that, that's that's the interesting thing because uh, City against Spurs I, I mean, I'll be honest I say this with all my City fan mates that like, weird things happen against Spurs for City um, so I mean you're, you're in this moral dilemma now where where like if you take the traditional six points off us then uh, you know you, you, you're really helping the Arsenal title push yeah it's it's one of those kind of you know big debates at the moment in in Spurs fandom, the whole kind of like, it doesn't matter what Arsenal are doing, you've got to hope for the best for Tottenham. And uh, that doesn't make sense to me because still, it's <laughs> it's not the best for Tottenham for Arsenal to win the title. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those ones, that, it, like you say, funny things happen in this fixture, don't they? And you can just clearly envisage a world where we get turned over by them at White Hart Lane and, and take six points off of you, you know, and hand them the title. So, it, it you know, I... I hate saying this, Dave, but I, I would feel very conflicted if we beat you. You know, <laughs> I mean, look, mate. I, I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm never going to say I want Tottenham to lose games, but Arsenal cannot win the Premier League. They just can't. Like we, it, 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 people talk about this. They want to, in abstract, say like, "Oh, this is small time. This is tin pot mentality." But it's the reality of football fandom, right? And I, I can wear my heart on my sleeve and say. I don't want to see Arsenal win the Premier League. I don't want to see Arsenal be obscure for the past, like be in obscurity for the past, like what, 10 years almost, and then just have a couple of years of getting it together and coming back and winning the league. That, that, <laughs> that can't happen. That's simply, I cannot see Mikel Arteta go down in history as a Premier League winning manager. It, it just, nah, not for me, Dave. So if, you know, if you, if you push them a bit closer as a result of us, Losing games is is kind of a win for Tottenham as well, you know. It's yeah. it's the reality. Yeah. So so let's. I mean, let's talk Conte then in in, in this sense because yeah. um, Spurs' uh, recent kind of form. I, I mean, I, I don't know in in terms of of um, certainly in terms of results, it, it doesn't look fantastic. Um, what's it What's it been like performance wise? Well, yeah, not fantastic either, really, mate. Um, it's. Yeah, there's this question, right? Is it that he doesn't have the players, thus can't play decent football? Or is it just simply that he doesn't have the players and he doesn't play nice football? Um, I think a lot is made of the lack of backing he's had. You know, this summer we've gone and spent, what, £65 million on Richarlison. We spent um, the money, well, we had to pay for 
Christian Romero. And that's around 40, 50 mil. We've had to ship, like, shell out for Kulisevsky and Bentancur. I think 40 and 30 mil respectively. You get the picture, right? There's there's more Eve Basuma as well. We've signed. We've spent money. Um Jed Spence as well, famously, although that is a club signing, as we're hearing all about. It feels like he's 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 gotten the money. Um he's just so stubborn with this kind of this this five two three kind of system that he plays that we just I, Personally, don't really think we have the personnel for. Like the, our wing backs are probably the weakest part of our team. Well, we've got even Perisic on one side, who's a you know he's a brilliant player, but there's no real backup there. Ran Sessignon just seems so. There's a player in there, but he just seems so terrified every time he's coming on the pitch, and we keep making excuses for him being a young player. But then you suddenly realise, hang on, we've been making these excuses for like three, four years now, and he's actually I think he's twenty two, twenty three now. So. If he isn't there by now, he, he hasn't got it. But it, it's just, it's not, it, it's sometimes hard to see. We lost at home to Aston Villa, uh, first game back after after the Christmas break, World Cup break. And there was no idea what he was trying to do. There, like, there was no clear sense that there, was a, that there was a plan there that they were all working to, other than let's try and get the ball to Son and Kane. Um I'm sure you'll get onto it, but Hummin Son has just been an absolute shadow of himself this year. An absolute shadow of himself. Um, what's gone from kind of a hope that he's maybe just in a poor run of form uh, is now turning into, wow, maybe time has actually finally caught up with him. Um, jury's still out on that to a degree, but it's not looking good. Um, and nor is the football. And it's a lot of this stems from Conte, right? It's... It, it's not even so much like just, oh, okay, right, we can maybe stomach playing this kind of anti-football if it's getting results, but do any of the top teams play that way anymore? Mourinho's kind of a dinosaur nowadays, all right? He, he won the Conference League with um, Roma, isn't it? So maybe, but Diego Simeone, that, that's kind of fallen off a bit now. Atletico Madrid, he's leaving in summer. I don't really know if there's many of these teams that have success that play this low intensity pedestrian football that Conte really seems to want to have Tottenham playing. Um, and the fact he won't really commit to the club, well, I would say he won't really, he won't commit to the club either. Um, I don't think probably helps, does it? I mean, are the players going to be listening to a guy who might not be here past the summer? It, it, it all feels like a bit of a mess, to be honest, David. That's that's kind of the the long and short of it with Antonio Conte. Yeah. Well, what it's screaming to me though is result at the Etihad. That's uh, that, for some reason it just see, like it just keeps <laughs> coming back to me. Oh yeah, all these problems. Yeah, result at the Etihad. Son suddenly you know finds his form. Find Kane firing him in. I mean, Kane's Kane's been the consistent in all this, hasn't he? He's still he's still scoring. I mean, if it wasn't for your lad, we'd be talking about Kane having a disgusting season. I mean, he's he's having the best season he's ever had for Tottenham in terms of goal return. Um, thus far, he's, yeah, I mean, we've seen it a few times in this game, uh, this season, I should say, where he's almost having that Gareth Bale type effect. So Gareth Bale in his last season at Tottenham, we were pretty awful. Um and Gareth Bell would just be like, all right, okay, it's, it's my job again to sort of save us. And Yeah, I'll go and win this one. Yeah, and there's shades of that with Kane now. He kind of, he just, there, were, there was worries that he might fall off a bit after missing that penalty in the World Cup. and But just nothing seems to phase the guy. He just, 
people every every single year there's always another reason why people say Harry Kane is going to fall off he's not going to be able to replicate it again and every single year the guy just seems to get better almost get better um so yeah he he is kind of dragging us through quite a few games there's I guess I would say there's mentions to Kulisevsky, even though he has been injured quite a lot. He's a very, very, very important player for us. Um, he's he's going to be like our, if we hold on to him after Kane and Son have gone, he's our next star man. You know, he is our next bail. Um, the guy's a phenomenon, you know. I think he's younger than Phil Foden, that's for some for some perspective. You know, he's yeah. he's he's just, he's, he's obscene. Um, but yeah, I mean... It's 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 really weird, mate. Because I sound sort of downbeat, and everyone feels a bit downbeat around Tottenham. But then you look at it. What we're fourth or fifth? We're still in touching distance of the top four. You look at Chelsea. The millions they've spent, they can't really get it together. They can't really get a decent run of form. All right, United are starting to maybe get it together now, but they still don't look the most solid. You know, they don't look that convincing, do they? United. You still look at them and think, right, well, they're all right. Yeah, got but- away with that one. Yeah, you know, it's so I'm not sh- I'm not sure I'm really buying the effusive praise at Ten Hag and you know I think Rashford's been good actually. To be fair, he's he's actually kind of looks like he's having a second win now. But yeah, I don't know. Spurs are still in the conversation. It just it, like I say, it all feels quite disjointed at the moment. I think that stops the fan base, and I think I can't really speak on behalf of anybody else, but. It's the way it feels, right? It, it, there's a lot of discontent at the moment. There's a lot of discontent about the ownership, about Conte, and it's it just doesn't feel great, mate. That's that's sort of the main thing. Yeah, the long and short of it. Um, I, I mean, you, you've mentioned um, a couple of times Conte and his and his style. Um, do you think he'll change much between uh, the North London derby and then coming to coming to the Etihad on the Thursday, or, or will his approach be pretty similar to both games? Yeah, it'll be. He's stubborn to a fault. Antonio Conte, the the minor change he might make in either one of these games is uh, having a three, playing three in midfield, um, depending on who's fit, who's available, um, and maybe just revert back to two up top. But most likely it will be the three up top. So it'll be Son, Kane, Kulisevsky if he's fit, but Brian Hill if not. Um, and then in the middle, anyone's guess really at the moment because... Hoybier, Saar. We've we've got this young lad Saar coming through, um, who's actually been a bit of a revelation. Um Hoybier, Basuma's injured Bentancur. We don't really know if he's back or fit or whatever. He picked up an injury in the World Cup, which has been a real kind of body blow for us. Um and Oliver Skip, another one of our youngsters. So it's a there's a kind of mixed bag there of players who are all pretty similar, all pretty, you know, if you're talking about them in like football manager terms, they're a Midfielder central. Do you know what I mean? MC. Yeah. That's it. They're they're kind of in that role, and all of them are in that role. Some of them are like this young Sarlad's a bit more box to box. You know, you wouldn't really call him a DM. You wouldn't really call him an AM. But he seems to do a bit of both. So, yeah, I mean, he. But yeah, there's, there's not going to be an awful lot of variation to what he does, mate. It's it's Antonio Conte doing what Antonio Conte does, and you know. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, well, let's uh, let's get some predictions on the board. It's it's hard making a prediction for a game that's so far away, but I'm sorry we're going to do it anyway. Um, we got the charity back coming up. Uh, what what scoreline are you anticipating for the uh, for the visit to the Etihad? I can actually see us getting one, um, but I think 
Haaland against our defence, because our defence is, quite frankly, horrific. Um, other than Christian Romero, Eric Dyer has completely fallen off. Ben Davies is just, he's a steady Eddie, six out of ten type player. So the thought of Erling Haaland um, running at them in any normal season <laughs> would be enough to give me nightmares. <laughs> but in this season, eh. So, um <laughs> I'll go with a 3-1 to City, mate. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. That was Jack from Rule the Roost. Um, first off, question either of you. Do, you. do you believe in the supernatural? Because if not, then why are Spurs such a pain in the arse for City? <laughs> Oh, we've got to we've got to beat them, haven't we? We just <laughs> they're in a. This is it's one of them, isn't it? If there's ever a time to play Spurs, when they're they're, they're I feel like Spurs are down in the dumps at the minute. You know, obviously Conte's coming out saying ah oh, things. You know, it, it it doesn't feel like Spurs are riding the crest of a wave at the minute. But that's what worries me the most because they always seem to do well when they're in this sort of slump yeah slump against city um but again we've just got to we've just got to get that mentality out of our out of our mindset out of our psyche and think we it's a great opportunity to beat them we have to beat them because we're in the thick of a title race and we can't afford to drop points yeah it's it's strange isn't it chris that uh, of all the things that happen in life that ultimately all always seems to come down to City against Spurs uh, because I, I remember growing up I, I had no real reason to hate Spurs growing up but I you know I had it I had it kind of drilled into me by my mum and dad that as a City fan you don't like Spurs and like, I didn't really know why and then throughout my, yeah through my entire teenage years they beat us every single time we played each other I thought we'd finish that with you know with the Mancini era and then a couple of batterings at the start of the Pellegrini era I thought yeah we've we've really put, got that monkey off our back and then suddenly you know Guardiola arrives and it's all Spurs again. Yeah, the monkey is back. It's it's a cheeky one. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to do about it. I hate them as well, and for all the same reasons. I don't yeah. believe in the supernatural, but I think it's something psychological. That, I don't know. Even the the fans might play a part in it because yeah, they they must get that feeling when they play us. Do you know what I mean? And that often. The feeling in the stands, the atmosphere transmutes into the players on the pitch. Otherwise, you know, it wouldn't be worth having us there, and it wouldn't yeah. be such. I, a, I always, I always wonder experience. about this with you know, like with superstitions, because mm. like I, I know I don't believe that superstitions mean anything. Like if you put your left sock on before your right sock, it does. I, I don't <laughs> think you're going to have a better game because of that. But if you believe that you do, do exactly, you then have yeah. a bad game when you don't do it? It's like yes. it's, it's really weird. It's like the magic feather in Dumbo, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's the crows giving this feather, and if they say if you don't have this feather, you won't be able to fly with your ears. But if you do have it, you will be able to fly. And he holds the feather, and he flies, and he drops the feather, and he thinks I can't fly, but he can fly. It's just uh, it's I can't believe left, left that I'm. I can't believe I'm on a podcast with two top birds <laughs> and you've used that analogy instead of the obvious one that's staring us all in the face, which is. Jimmy Grimble's magic boots. Uh, course, oh yeah, yeah, never thought yeah, of that. Yeah. Dum- Dumbo, it's much more of a cultural boots, reference. Jimmy, it's your feet. I've got a toddler at home. I do apologise. I, I think he's 
Maybe he's not too young for Jimmy Grimbald. He's not. He's too young for Ray Winston's Mancaxon. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's eighteen rated that one, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. Um, Sam, are you nervous about this week, given how the week has just gone? Obviously, it's the derby first, and then the Spurs game, where you know it's things can. Where generally, if things go wrong, they do. uh, If things can go wrong, they do go wrong. Um, Because when you look at the bigger picture, more drop points could be damaging to the title challenge. But equally, at the same time. This City team this season, we've just said, we've just spent, you know, 40-odd minutes talking about how they've not really played that well. But they're two points behind the tally that they had at this stage last season after 17 games. They had 41 last season. They got 39 this season. They've scored more goals. The eye test suggests that it's not been as cohesive as uh, as last season. But things aren't actually that bad. No, they're not. And I think that's probably more damning of the rest of the the teams in the league to be honest with you and just I think everyone's having a bit of an issue with consistency like you look at Liverpool it seems like they go on a bit of a mini run and then all of a sudden they have an absolute howler um, and it looks like they're back in a crisis Spurs likewise the only team really that's been consistent is Arsenal and that's why they're top of the table at the moment um, look at Manchester United you know they've put that string of runs together and now they're looking pretty solid for a top four spot this week in the could, title could, race could change all that, yeah. is pivotal. Not just because City play United and then Spurs and then Wolves, but Arsenal play Spurs and then Manchester United. So it's it's pivotal for them. This is where both teams will show their true title credentials this season, this week. And it's imperative, not just because of how significant it'll be for the title race, but what's coming up in the weeks after that city play Arsenal in the FA cup fourth round. And then again, weeks after that, we, we start with those fixtures, um, Arsenal V city at the, um, at the Emirates. So psychologically this week, as well as in terms of what the table could look like is going to be massive. So with that, Chris, What's more important, two good performances or two, or two good results? Because if, if City get the performances back, in the long run, they could chase Arsenal down, but they might have too much work to do. But if they get the results, they might not be in the rhythm to chase Arsenal down, even though the gap's smaller. Do you know what I mean? Results, 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 results. Results-driven business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you get if you do two great performances and lose... I don't necessarily think that's helping the rhythm for the next game, but if you do, if you get two good results and play shite, then that could well but have a better impact. But then it's again, if City get six points in the next two games and play absolutely terrible, mm. it's the sign of champions. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And if you play, you know, I've been in teams where you play badly and win. Not that often. Normally, just play badly and lose. But when you do play badly and win. You think, well, fantastic! We could only get better. You know, we're we're doing we must be doing something right. We're winning. We click a bit more. We're going to be absolutely steamrolling. So, which is a weird uh, sort of positive, isn't it? Because they're really, really slow steamrollers. Yeah, I. Um, <laughs> if that's the position you're in, like even as a football player, if, if you're in if you're in a position where your form is things can only get better, you are playing pretty badly, aren't you? <laughs> well, yeah, definitely. But if you're winning at the same time, then I mean, 
I suppose things could get worse. Things could get worse. Yeah, yeah they could be losing and playing badly. So yeah, there we Nobody go. Wants right. to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, where's Brian Cox when you need him? Uh, right. So we had a win on the charity bet in the last three games. Kieran Murray correctly predicted the one 0 win at Stamford Bridge, taking our total for the season up to four hundred and seventy-five pounds. William Hill has given each of us a ten-pound correct score single. The winnings are going to the Man City fans food bank support group. They're collecting for the Trussell Trust to help those living in food poverty. Let's try and add some more money to the kitty with our predictions for United and Spurs. Uh, we heard. From from uh, Jay that he's gone for a one-all in the United game. That's 13-2 to two and £65 if he's right. Chris, what are you having? We're going to win. We're going to win 3-1. 3-1, I will take it because it's 12-1 to one and 120 quid. Sam? I love Chris's confidence and I do hope he's right. Uh, but if he isn't to be right, then I hope we win the, the charity bet and I'm going for 2-2. Two, two. 2-2, two, two, uh, definitely a prediction made in the throes of the drive home uh, last night, wasn't it? 14-1 um, <laughs> to one and uh, £140 if you're right. Uh, Sam, we'll stick with you. What have you gone for for the uh, Spurs game? Tight, but we're going to win. 2-1. Two, 2-1 one. Two, one win. Uh, getting uh, getting that first win over Spurs in what feels like 100 years. 8-1, uh, £80. Um, we heard Jack went for a 3-1 City win. He's not confident at all. 10-1 uh, to one and £100 if he's right. Chris? Well, I've gone even tighter than Sam, and we're going to win morally 2-2, otherwise known as a draw. A draw, uh, yes. 2-2 uh, is 18-1 to one and £180, if you are correct. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on how to gamble responsibly, then take a look at begambleaware.org. We are going to squeeze in a very, very quick audience question. Get them in on Twitter uh, at Blue Moon Podcast if you want to for next week. Um, ben Aspinall has been in touch on the emails. You can email through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. He says, Cole Palmer, as a City Academy graduate, I really want him to do well. I know I'm not the only one from my seating area who believes he's not making impacts in games like last year, though. Does he need to go out on loan to kick on, or am I just blinded by how Foden was performing at this point in his career? Um, Sam, you were at Southampton uh, last night, and Palmer didn't have the greatest of games. Um, what, what do you make of, of where he's at at City at the minute? I think it's a really good learning time for Cole Palmer at the moment and I think to to Ben's point on Phil Foden I think we have to appreciate how Pep brought him through and looked after him you know people were were demanding that he played you know not not necessarily City fans but more the wider football fan base they were they didn't understand it and I think that was Pep protecting Foden and bringing him through and and I think that's what we're seeing with Cole Palmer at the minute. He's getting a lot more game time. Um, and I think against Southampton, he looked frustrated because he wasn't getting the ball enough. When he did get the ball, I thought he looked really bright. Um, he was driving into the box. He was trying to make things happen. And I just think it's probably compared to last season, I think it, last season he probably had that novelty of being in the first team, playing in the first team, and he was probably involved in games where he had a lot more freedom, where the game was probably already put to bed and it didn't necessarily matter. But this season, in his performances and when he has played, there's been a lot more responsibility on him, which for a young player, I think will take time. Um, and I think that's what we saw with Foden. So, so far, still work to do for me with, with Cole Palmer, but certainly... He's looked bright when kind of he's B minor, yeah, B minus maybe. Yes, that was his favourite position last night, wasn't it? 
Again, I think he just looked frustrated, though, because, you know, like I said earlier on when we were looking back at the Southampton game, and it, it was the same as Grealish. The ball just wasn't getting out to him quick enough. You can imagine that's frustrating when it's just not working for you. And, you know, he you has to come in and pick up a bit more and... Do you find him hard to read body language and sort of facially? Because there's a t- you know when he sort of tried that Megs on um, Kepper against Chelsea, and it it went into the side netting. I think, I think it was a corner, but to look at him, someone was screaming out for the for a for a square ball, and it yeah. just didn't look, it didn't look bothered. He didn't look phased. He didn't look bothered. He didn't look upset. Didn't well, we know look- he's a we know he's a confident yeah yeah player, don't we? From uh, kind of like Prem soon but, come, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, like I say, I think it's just down to you know now it's now it's serious. He's a member of the first team squad, and there's a lot more responsibility on his shoulders, and he actually has to do a job rather than just come into a game when it's won and you know put yourself in the the shop window really. But um, I think that will come like it did before him. I mean, Higgy, the other the other aspect to this uh, with with Palmer's performance against Southampton is like you can single him out and say he didn't play very well, but the entire team were bad, and it's hard to shine. It's hard to shine when your teammates are not helping you out as well, isn't it? That's true, and he did do a couple of you know really positive things. There was a bit of play where he anticipated. Um, there was a bit of a scramble, and he just muscled in, tore down the wing. Um, so he's, he's obviously showing a lot of drive and anticipation and he played a couple of good balls into the box where on another night we would have done better from them but yeah the whole team had a collective stinker um, and it does seem you know disproportionately unfair to single a young player coming into the team which not only is hard for him to find his own rhythm but as a new, not a new addition, but you know, like a not regular starter coming yeah, into yeah. it, disrupts the overall rhythm. So it's perhaps, you know, criticism should be uh, tempered, uh, factoring that all those things in when you're looking at Palmer. He's got a lot of faith in him. The manager's got a lot of faith in him for a reason. Um, he wasn't really at it last night, neither were the rest of them, you know, back off. I would say. Uh, jury's still out, isn't it? He might, he might, Continue to not come up with the goods, and then then fair enough. We'll we'll either look at a loan or part in the ways. But I think um, give him for, a bit for the time, time being, doing okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, well, that brings us to the end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. Hopefully, we'll have a much more upbeat version for you next week. Uh, thanks to my guest Sam Roscoe. Always a pleasure. And Chris Higginbottom. Thank you very much for having me. Stay tuned for a short clip of this week's Patreon bonus show. That was an edition of City Heaven, City Hell, focusing on games with West Brom. We'll be back next week, slightly later than usual, because we'll be recording after the Spurs game on the Thursday evening, as the Premier League schedule means we keep having to play a game of Guess When the Blue Moon podcast will be out. So we'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. What can you say about a, with 10 men, injury time, counter-attack winner? I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. It's not being disrespectful to West Brom. When you're defending champions, these are the games you expect to win. You need to pick up three points. 
didn't look like we'd get any at some point. And 92nd minute winner, it's just what it's all about, being a fan. But also, the goal itself is beautiful. And I'm sure we'll come to discuss it. What went just before it as well is quite important. Joe Hart tips Lukaku's overhead kick over the bar yeah, and then City, then City break away from that. I, like, at what point are you, are you, are you realising the dread of, oh God, we, it might happen here now? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that was it, wasn't it? Lukaku had the chance to win the game. Hart pulled off a fantastic save and you're just kind of digesting that and getting over that. And then Jekko pops up at the other end as he was wont to do and puts one away. You know, we were a good team that season. I, again, for you know, younger listeners might find this very difficult to believe. It was only a decade ago, but that season under Steve Clark, we ended up finishing eighth. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode. <laughs> <laughs>